Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. We've been talking about midterm exams for the last two months, three months, because the, the epistle of James is a midterm exam for us. And I don't know about you, but I had a professor, I had several professors in seminary who knew how to write midterm exams and final exams. They were so good at writing exams, it drove me bonkers, right? Our, 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 I remember, and, and um, I hope he's not watching because he has worshipped with us before, um, our systematic theology professor, Dr. Glenn Scorgi, could write exams, right? He would... He would send us home with 200, 300 pages of reading, this ginormous book, and we'd have to come back after a week having read it. And his quizzes were five questions, only five. And each question was a single percentage point, so we could only earn 100 points in the class, and he had figured it out that every question was a percentage point. So you knew if you got one wrong, you went from 100% to 99 to 98. And he would write these, these questions. You'd read them, and then it was multiple guess. So answer A, if you did a cursory reading, seemed to fit. Like, you were like, oh, this works. I think this works. And then you'd read answer B, and you'd go, wait a minute. I think that works even better. You're like, uh, I don't know about that. And then you get to C, and you're like, okay, wait. All right, so A, B, and C work, and then you get to D, and you're like, okay, I did a cursory reading. I know D is not the answer, so I'm just going to guess. And he could do that so well with every question. But if you read the, the entire material for the week, you knew the answer. You were confident. You just circle B or circle C, or sometimes in my own um, test-taking strategies, when in doubt, see out kind of stuff, um, <laughs> It worked sometimes, and sometimes it failed miserably. But he could do this really well, and I'm not that kind of professor. So know that at some point this morning, you're going to take a midterm exam, and I'm not that professor. I'm one that wants to see you succeed and excel and be excited about knowing the answers. So we're going to do a quick review of James just to get the, the juices flowing, right? James is the author of the letter James. Super easy, right? He put his name on it. It says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Got it? That might be on the test. So just be aware. But there's some really amazing things about James's letter. Because James is pushing the congregation and the church to move beyond simply belief, but into action. That our doctrine and our beliefs ought to reflect our behavior. And if they don't, he's almost saying shame on us because faith without deeds is dead. You show me faith and I'll show you my faith by my deeds, he says. He also tells us, and the great thing about the the letter of James is it's really easy to read, right? There's no question, right? He just flat out says it. 
My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Oh. Uh, That one's easy, I think, right? It's super clear. He does that throughout the entire letter. He says, do not just merely listen to the word, but be doers of the word, right? That might be on the exam later, just FYI. Just kind of trying to prime the pump here, right? And then he talks about the tongue. And he makes a, a wonderful comparison about the tongue, that it's like fire. He also describes it as restless evil, full of deadly poison. And oh boy, sometimes my tongue can be deadly and full of evil and poison because my speech does not reflect my doctrine as I speak to my brothers and sisters who are created in the image of God. He he says, the same mouth that you praise the Lord, you speak to your brothers and sisters that way? It should not be. He talks about wisdom. Wisdom from above and wisdom from below. And Pastor David grounded us in the authority of culture and the authority that is within. And we should be grounded in the Word of God as our authority. And that authority comes from above. And finally, these things should be making... You should be going, oh yeah, I remember these things. I'm hoping that you're remembering them. And then he gets to prayer. And we spent time last Sunday talking about the power of prayer and the effectiveness of prayer that sometimes God simply says yes to your prayers. Sometimes God says yes, but not yet. And then the one that we really don't like, sometimes God says no. Because I love you. Because I know what is good and beautiful for you. So no. Because I'm working something out in the world. And trust me. See, these are all wonderful and easy things to just simply teach and rattle off because James takes this all very seriously. Because really, what is at stake? What is at stake when we veer and wander from the truth, when we veer and wander from the truth of the gospel, he tells us. He tells us what's at stake. And our passage this morning is, literally, it's one one sentence, two verses. And it's filled with wonder and truth. And James is kind of the unique one that writes the letter. All the other letters kind of end in a doxology or a greeting or send your blessing this way or or tell this person that we love them and we're praying for them. Paul does that with the majority of his letters, but James ends in true fashion, answering the question, what is at stake if we do not live consistently with the doctrine we so hold true to our lives. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to invite you to open. I just gave you a really quick summary of what the midterm exam might look like. So beware. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open them to chapter, James chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 19. James writes, My dear brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring them back, Remember this, whomever turns a sinner 
from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. What's at stake here? Saving them from sin. Saving them from death and covering a multitude of sins. That is what is at stake for us, brothers and sisters. And I love how he starts this. He starts with brothers. In in my translation, it says brothers. In others, it says brothers and sisters because he's talking to the church and he's talking to the 12 tribes who are scattered among the nations. Those who call Jesus Lord and Savior, he's saying brothers and sisters. Who are our brothers and sisters? They are our family. The ones whom we love, whom we're growing up with. Paul calls it and refers to this as the body of Christ. As there is one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism, there is one body. And Paul reminds us about the body and the significance of the body. As we are brothers and sisters in Christ who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. He's saying, Paul says, there are some in the body who are the nose. They are equally vital to those who are the lungs. They're as important as those who are the mouth and those who make up the elbow or the... No, we won't go there. That we all make up parts, we are all parts of one body in Christ. And one cannot say to the other, I don't need you. Because it would be as if we've amputated a part of our body and said, away from me, you are not my brother and sister. James is not talking about those. He's talking about those who we are family together. And I'm thinking of this moment as James is saying, what is at stake? I'm thinking through the Old Testament and wondering, well, there there are two brothers, Cain and Abel. And when Cain kills Abel, God approaches Cain and says, what have you done? The ground is crying out. The blood is crying out to me. And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? James would say, absolutely yes. I am my brother and sister's keeper. That as a family, we do life together in community. We're in it together, friends. Church, we cannot do life isolated from each other. I tried to do that once. I remember in college, going to Point Loma Nazarene University, and and these are moments where I might have wandered because of my arrogance. Studying theology and philosophy, I thought I knew everything. I would, I would head into a church and, and sit in a pew or in a seat and listen to the pastor preach. And boy, I'm being way more gracious now than before because now I'm the one up here. And I would find all sorts of things that were askew and, and wrong that they could do better because I knew everything. And in my own thoughts... My own behavior, I was wandering and still sitting in the church. Wandering from the truth. 
that grounds me to the gospel, that grounds me to Jesus. Israel wandered. Did you know that the consequence for Cain was restless wandering, isolated from everyone? God says you will, re- you will enter into restless wandering. And what a tragedy to be isolated and alone. And to not have my brothers and sisters around me. To remind me what is at stake. Death. And my sin. Which brings about death. Oftentimes we think, um, at least I do, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I think about students who graduate high school and go into college and then begin to distance them from their, distance from their faith because they don't have the community around them. But I'm even thinking about King David who had a prophet call him. <laughs> Nathan. King David wandered set up Uriah the Hittite to be executed so that he could cover up the sin. And Nathan said, tells him a really beautiful, simple story. There's a a rich man who has cattle and lambs and sheep and so many things. And there's another man that is very poor and he has one little lamb, one ewe lamb. And he treats this lamb like she's his daughter and he carries her and he hugs her and he feeds her and he tends for her. He cares for her like family. And he watches out for her and he nurtures her. And the rich, the rich man gets a visitor. And the visitor says, let's, let's celebrate. And the rich man calls the poor man's little you and kills that rather than taking from his own flock and celebrating. And you know what King David says? He gets angry. What are you doing? That man, should, he should pay four times what that little lamb was worth. And here's Nathan, trembling because he's standing in front of King David, saying, King David, you are that man. You have wandered. You have wandered from the truth. It's time to come back. And the most beautiful thing happens next. King David falls and confesses his sins and pleads for mercy. And then... The forgiveness sets in. The healing sets in. God is working in us. There is hope for us as we live in family together, as we are one body together. Walking beside one another. And James is writing simply to prevent us from wandering, to warn us that life is at stake 
And it is a serious warning. And I think about many of us sitting in the pews this morning. Some of us, we think wandering is this big, grandiose drama, like King David's story. But Peter's story is a little less grandiose, isn't it, in the New Testament? As Jesus tells him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And maybe you're here in the sanctuary and your mind is wandering, not because you're bored, but because your, your mind and your thoughts are held captive to something other than the Word of God. And you're wandering. Maybe in your marriage, you're wandering. And your marriage is not what it's called to be. Where you've become one flesh. Maybe it's at your workplace and you're wandering there. Or in your classrooms. In your neighborhood. You see, this wandering is not something that we're unsusceptible to. We wander all the time. The question is, are there those in our lives who pick up on the rhythms of our life and the pattern. Because my rhythm and your rhythm often run in parallel, and when my rhythm gets a little off-centered or off-cue, you pick up on the nuance. I have brothers and sisters in this community who know me so well that when something is awry, they go, hey, John, something's wrong. And they pick up on my wandering. Because we've moved past the superficial conversation. And we've moved into deep and meaningful things in our lives. And we've shared with one another the struggles and, the, and we've confessed to one another. Because what is at stake for us is life. And there is an enemy, friends. Brothers and sisters, there is an enemy who is working overtime to convince us that our wandering doesn't really bring death. It will actually bring life to you. And that is so far from the truth. It's twisted and marred and packaged in a deal that seems good, but it is evil. There's a, there's a hymn we often sing that talks about our wandering in verse 3. You might be singing it or thinking of it now. Come thou fount. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We are prone to wander, friends. And what is at stake is life. The slippery slope that we get on takes us beyond 
what we could have even imagined. But never forget the response that King David made. Confession. Confession. That when my heart wanders, that I have someone to confess to who is faithful and will forgive us and heal us and restore us and bring us new life because God's mercy is new every day. Even Peter in his wandering denied Christ three times. And Jesus meets him and says, Do you love me, Peter? I do. Feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Lord, of course I love you. Take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, Peter. What is at stake, friends? Brothers and sisters, life is at stake, and we are in this together. James is not messing around. And neither was I when I said there's a midterm exam coming. And I know you're all experts because I've given you all the answers already. And I've even given you a really good clue that when you're in doubt, see your way out. Now, for those of you in the military, I know there's another, you know, there there might be another tool, right, Charlie... Charlie out, but I I heard there was another one about time and a clock that you would look at the clock and whichever hand the, whichever hand the second, the second hand was on or whichever coordinate the second hand was on, that was the guess that you offered. Don't use that method. It will not work. I promise you that. You know the truth. And I want to show you how well you know the truth. So you ready? Are you ready to take this midterm exam? Nod your heads yes. You're going to do just fine, I promise. You're going to do just fine, right? So um, as the screen comes down, remember the tool. You know the word of God. You know the truth. So here's the first question. It's a warm-up question, right? It's really a warm-up question. Your midterm exam The epistle, James. Here's your first question. Who is the author of the epistle, James? (laughs) Moses? King David? James? Or James Bond? Okay, the, the correct answer is C, Jesus. Right. Oh, James, sorry. What am I, in Sunday school here? Of course, Jesus is the correct answer. (laughs) All right, here's your second question. The right answer is always Jesus. Here's your second question. Oh, I didn't give you this one, and I'm so sorry. I didn't give you this one. About the family piece, you need to know that James uses the, the... my brothers and sisters 11 times, and then refers to brothers and sisters in other ways five more times. That it, the Apostle Paul does it like twice in all of his letters, right? This is significant for James, and he uses 
the term my brothers and sisters 11 times. So how many times does James use the familial my brothers? C, 11 times. Well done. All right, here's your, here's your next one. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it blank. Says if you feel like it. Says only when it benefits you. C, says. Or D, says, but. The correct answer is C, do what it says. Here's your next midterm exam question. Which of these does not describe the tongue? Which of these does not describe the tongue? A fire? A restless evil full of deadly poison? Aston Martin? DB5? If just I know, there's a great movie that just came out, right, this last weekend. Or D, a small part of the body makes great boasts. The correct answer is... C. Man, you guys are really good. Did you get the answers beforehand? All right, let's go to the the next question. I believe this is our, our last question. Where does pure, considerate, impartial wisdom come from? Does it come from, I know, this is, I, yeah, I know, this is a good one. Does it come from Santa Claus? Remember, we're talking about the epistle James, right? Does it come from Santa Claus? Does it come from my wife, I know, this was hard. She gave me permission to put that answer on there, so we're good. Does it come from the wisdom up from above? Does it come from Google? The correct answer is C. It comes from above. All right, one last question. No, you're done. You aced it. Well done. Congratulations. You're now experts. The challenge is to live your life accordingly. To live your life in such a way that reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. So you've come this far. You've completed your midterm exam. And you are well equipped for the final. And the final exam is quite simply going forth and serving. Living out your faith in such a way that your words reflect your actions and your belief reflects your behavior, and you belong to the body of Christ. And no one in this room wants to see you wander. So your final exam is to make sure that you have three or four people who you are close to, that you know the rhythm of their life and the pattern And that there are three or four who know the rhythms of your life and can detect your wandering. Because what's at stake? Life. And we live life together in community as God is in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen.